to season four of Gender Sexuality School. I'm Tara Goldstein, and we're podcasting from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, the traditional territory of many Indigenous nations. Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Williams Treaty signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. In Toronto, Ontario, and Canada, we are all we are all treaty people who need to work towards responding to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's 94 calls to action. Today, Tyson Seaborn joins us to talk about their new book about incorporating topics of gender and sexuality into English language classrooms. The book is called How to Write Inclusive Materials, and it is part of a series of training books for English language teaching writers. Tyson, welcome to Gender Sexuality School. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks, Tara. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm I'm thrilled that you invited me to talk about my book. So to begin our interview, can you tell us a little bit about the work you do as an English language teacher and curriculum developer and why you thought it was important to write this book about inclusive English language teaching materials? Sure, absolutely. I've been in this um, profession for 22 or three years now. I started in Korea. Right. And at the time, I was advised actually not to disclose my um, LGBTQ-ness to my students. And, at, you know, it was the late 90s and, and I didn't and I was young and I didn't really think too, too much about it. Um, so I did do that. But as um, I've gotten older and I've worked in different contexts, such as the one at University of Toronto, which right. is really entirely international students, they um, are doing a foundation year program to uh, have a condition removed on their acceptance to their undergrad program. So that's who I'm, I'm pretty much dealing with now. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that, um, you know how we say we are models for our students right. in terms of being lifelong learners. And if we don't have the answer to a question, we should say so and just try to figure it out. That same thing applies, I think, when it comes to how we present ourselves and how we talk about ourselves and our identities. And so as I've realized, I have um, students who identify within LGBTQ um, community. It was a disservice, I think, in my respect to not actually be a model in that way for my students. And so that was a realization I came to more or less in the last 10 years, basically. And then as I've done so, I've it has opened my eyes to how little um, queer people are talked about or discussed or even visible in the English language classroom. Um, and that includes the materials. And so when we do, in fact, or when we have, in fact, included queer people into materials, which is very rare, I might say, um, it's often done in a very othering manner. Like right. it's we're isolated into one specific topic where you talk about us and then we're done. Uh, or people are making decisions about queer people without the voices of queer people actually included. And so there's a lot of problems. And um, this goes in. Um, as deeply as teacher training courses, they really ignore this um, aspect. And it's not just um, LGBTQ identifying people, but it's also people of all sorts of underrepresented and minoritized groups. And so at many conferences over the last 
maybe five years, I would say, people are starting to discuss, um, including LGBTQ people, or the fact at least that they're invisible. Right. But not a lot has been actually done in terms of producing materials um, that are inclusive or helping people to understand how to do that. And so that was really the impetus for me putting together this book. Um, and I'm really thankful that the publishers contacted me and asked me, hey, would you like to write this book in our series? And, and so I said, oh, yes, obviously. Fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of addressing issues of gender and sexuality in the English language classroom? If um, there hasn't been much representation and your work is at the forefront of um, making this happen, when you yourself do uh, this work or your colleagues try and do this work, uh, it must be challenging. Well, I think it's primarily challenging because there's been no training or support right. um, to do so. And so any instructor who recognizes this problem is doing it kind of on their own. You know, right. they're trying to sort of on the spot, figure out ways in which to be inclusive. And sometimes you do that successfully. And sometimes you make a little bit of an error, right? Because right. you don't have any guidance. Um, and so, you know, with, with international students, as the entire cohort of, of my profession, right. it's, it's different than having, you know, a, a set of domestic Canadian students who've sort of grown up in this society where um, at least to a, a good degree, LGBTQ has been accepted and it's just part of normal society. Um, you can't say that for certain when you're dealing with international students because they right. come from a wide variety of contexts. And so you can face, um, some very obvious homophobic reactions sometimes from students. You can um, face the snickers and the giggles at first, you know, um, and that can cause instructors, I think, a lot of apprehension to actually even trying to change the situation and, and make the materials more inclusive. But I think once we recognize that our students themselves need to identify with the materials and see themselves in the materials, um, you can find invisibility in all sorts of regards, not just um, regarding queer people. So I would say the challenges largely are lack of support, lack of training and um, apprehension about doing it wrong, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. Have you had an opportunity to do any professional development with English language teachers yourself, perhaps at the conferences, perhaps within the program? And if you have, what kinds of things um, do you like to uh, bring up or talk about during these PD sessions? I've been really lucky, actually, especially over the last couple of years, um, to give conference talks and plenaries and things like that about this issue. Um, I think I'm fortunate that I have a platform, a public platform, to be able to um, give ideas to, yes. to teachers. Um, I would say that the two primary aspects I usually try to get across initially is what it means to be inclusive. So what are principles for inclusion that you need to consider? Um, and then one or two sample approaches to doing so. Um, right. And so in, in the book, um, I talk about really what it means to others, a group of people, and then by contrast, what it means to be inclusive. And so um, I won't do all of them here, but for example, yeah. um, you don't want to spotlight any particular 
um, student right. and you don't you don't want to without their consent make them the representative so if you found out one of your students is gay for example they don't automatically become the go-to source right. of information right. um, so that's one aspect of um, inclusion is not doing that um, another aspect of inclusion is to increase the frequency by which queer people appear in the materials or the narratives so that um and this accomplishes a couple of things but one is that it becomes more usualized to see us right okay. and so that we're not weird or strange or whatever um and secondly the more frequently um a variety of individuals appear the more likely it is to avoid a stereotypical trope for example because you have more opportunity, right? If you only have one gay person appearing in your entire materials, chances are you're going to um, misrepresent, you know, the community because you're picking sort of one. And for, you know, straight white ELT materials writers, that right. is typically going to be the, the cleanest cut, the most perfect, the most straightest looking sort of queer person, which is sort of a stereotype. And it ignores a, a wide variety. So, of course, what we want to do is individualize and make sure that, you know, there's a wide variety of narratives, both, um, you know, positive and sort of realistic. So there's a couple of those um, examples of, of inclusion, inclusive principles. But then I move on to two approaches to um, operationalizing these right. principles, one of which is a usualization approach, which I, I briefly just mentioned. But um, Professor Sue Sanders came up with this term or coined this term a while ago instead of normalization as as uh, as a term right. where. Basically, as I said, you're increasing with the frequency by which um, any underrepresented group appears in the narratives. And so there's a lot more variety um, and it's not the unique characteristics of that groups per se that you're focusing on as much as it is matter-of-factly including a wide variety of people so that's sort of the usualization approach and and in the book i talk about basically how to do that through the images the text the audio and and so on and then there's a a, a sort of nameless approach which i call just a more disruptive approach simply right. because there's no name for it exactly but it is where you actually try to um, connect all learners with the narratives um, that are unique or the experiences that are unique to queer people or um, uh, any, any underrepresented group, actually, where we look for something in society that is a status quo that is not serving people well, at least any particular group. And we try to find a connection between how that um, community's experiences are affected by the status quo and anybody's experiences are affected in that mm -hmm. sort of way. And so um, one example of that was um, when you have a sort of a binary choice in society, you only you can only choose this or that. Right. Um, and an example of that would be uh, washrooms, public washrooms. Right. And so materials may be designed around the experiences of um, of uh, a non-binary person when they're experiencing a choice like this. What is an either or choice? Which washroom yeah. do you go into? And, and we can hear those experiences from that person. Then what um, anybody will do, the learners will do then is, of course, that raises awareness of that, but then they try to connect that to their own experiences right. 
where maybe it's not washrooms that cause that problem, but maybe it is because sometimes you see those washroom signs where it has, you know, a woman um, with a shopping bag to indicate it's the female. And that, of course, is maybe not something they identify with. Right. But beyond that, it could be something um, else in society where you have really just this binary choice and you wish there was more gray area. Sorry. You wish there was more gray area. Um, the first thing that came to my mind was when you have um, women's and men's clothing right. options, right? You kind of, do you shop in the men's department because those clothes fit you better? Or do you shop in the women's department because those clothes fit you better? Like, and you have to make that choice. And so some learners who are not non-binary um, may still actually be in a situation where they have this sort of, I'm not A and I'm not B. And that can create a connection between their experiences of, of the world and um, LGBTQ experiences of the world. So those are sort of two general approaches that we go for. Um, and I talk about that a lot more in the book than I can easily do so right now. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. So Tyson, I see that um, you have collaborated on the book with several other writers. Can you tell us a little bit about them and a little bit about your collaboration process? Because I always find those stories really, really interesting. Absolutely. I mean, one reason for the collaboration was simply to, because if you look at my own identity, Right. You know, which is a, a, a white cis man right. um, who's gay. And I have, you know, a certain amount of experience with especially with regards to being a gay man in this world. But I don't have experience as being a black woman in this world, for example, or um, a Muslim woman or a mixed race or, an, a, you know, an older person, et cetera. Not yet anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I wanted to make sure that. I could um, cover some blind spots that I may or may not be aware of in my own approach to inclusive materials. And so these colleagues of mine, um, I, I knew to some degree from different past interactions, like uh, last year, I organized a conference on um, race and queerness in English language teaching. And these uh, two of these were speakers, two of these women were speakers. And I was very impressed with um, their their ideas and, and what they had to, to say about inclusive materials. And I thought their perspectives would be very, very welcomed. So, um, and another one I knew from, from a podcast, sort of like this one, um, where she talked about these problems um, and diversity and inclusion. And so I had basically written the, a draft of the book um, and I invited, the publishers invited these three um, individuals to go through the draft of the book, give their comments about anything that they wanted to within the book um, that I had said, and add in their own perspectives throughout the book, wherever it seemed organic for them to do so. And so it really enhanced the book's perspective and allowed, um, um, I think, a, a different kind of credibility to the materials that are in the book, because it wasn't simply just coming from a gay man's perspective. So. That's such an interesting um, uh, process uh, because you don't often hear about a collaboration like that. And it's clear that your contributors' names are right on the front covers so yeah. that uh, their work isn't um, included in a footnote thanking them for their, their insights. And mm -hmm. the whole idea of being able to enhance a preliminary 
uh, draft with um, your own perspective and your own uh, experiences is a really interesting way uh, forward. And uh, did uh, any of your collaborators talk about the experience uh, of um, working with you in this way? Did you get any feedback about your process? Well, I mean, I did. I did get a lot of gratitude, actually. No kidding. Um, nice. I mean, they they did thank me a lot for being included um, and being, I suppose, selected. I guess if you want to call it that. Yes. The and the fact that they felt they had learned quite a bit from from me as well. And at, at that point, you know, I don't think they knew how much I had learned from them. Right. Um, but. I certainly did. And the book wouldn't be as good as it is if it weren't for them, which is um, really why they deserve to have acknowledgement on the cover, as well as, you know, a certain portion of royalties that come from the book as well. So, you know, I, I consider, you know, yes, I, I did the majority of it, but um, it, it would certainly not be as good a book if, if they hadn't been included. Thank you. As we start to um, close up our interview, I always love to hear, who do you hope will read the book? Well, ultimately, I hope the target audience, which is people who are writing English language teaching materials, um, are the primary people who, who notice the book and want to benefit from the book. You know, there's a whole subset of my profession that really focuses solely on that right. um, aspect. And they're not teachers necessarily, they're actually materials writers. So this is meant kind of for the, the materials writer who does this regularly and wants to figure out a better way to do it so that um, they can include a, a wide variety of people in, in the best fashion possible. But of course, I mean, ultimately, I hope publishers are, are take notice of the book too, because, you know, they do hold the key to what gets published and what doesn't get published. So we can do whatever we want right. as teachers or materials writers, but if they actually don't publish, um, then uh, you know it goes basically nowhere except in your little bubble in your classroom. So I hope it's them that do. And so do I. Tyson, thanks so much for joining us today. I really loved hearing you speak about your new book for English language materials writers and curriculum writers. Tyson Seaborn is an English for Academic Purposes instructor and assistant academic director of international programs at New College, University of Toronto. He holds an MA in Educational Technology and TESOL from the University of Manchester. Tyson's main interest focuses on, on identity and its various impacts on teacher development. Tyson's new book, How to Write Inclusive Materials, just published in 2021, is available on amazon.ca. All right, that's our podcast for today. You can find this podcast at www.gendersexualityschool.ca. This episode was produced with the support of the New College Initiative Fund and from Doug Friesen, who is a PhD student at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education. Thanks to musician Kate Reed, sound engineer Lisa Patterson, and musician Doug Friesen for creating the music that opens and closes the show. I'm Tara Goldstein. All the best. <laughs>